Okay, here's your chance to tell your age. How many of you actually remember that show? Really? Wow, you guys are old. That was back from the 1950s. That show first was a radio show, it was a radio drama, and then it ran for a season on CBS and it got canceled and got picked up and ran for a couple years on NBC and then it got canceled again and then ran for final season on CBS, went for five seasons altogether. Isn't Wikipedia a wonderful thing? <laughs> Looked all that up just this morning. 1955, Father Knows Best. So uh, this week and next week, since it's Father's Day, I thought it would be fun to look at probably one of the most famous fathers in all the Bible. We'll be in Luke chapter 15, and I've entitled the message this morning, Lost and Found. Luke chapter 15, feel free to take your Bibles and take a look at Luke chapter 15. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And I'm going to jump right in because, as the worship team knows, I got a lot of ground to cover this morning, and I'm going to try to cover it pretty quickly. Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. Are you there yet? I still hear pages rustling. Okay. Luke chapter 15. All the verses are on the screen that we're going to discuss this morning. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 says this Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Jesus was attractive. You ever realize that? People liked being around Jesus, uh, and not just religious people. In fact, religious people usually were annoyed with Jesus. He really got on their nerves. But uh, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, they liked Jesus because Jesus was accepting of them. He was attractive to them. Now, uh, Cheryl has a cousin, Barry. He's watched this from time to time. I don't think any of you have met him. He works for the IRS. No, come on now. The IRS isn't all that bad. I've had to call them a couple times. They've been very nice to me whenever I've called them. Uh, but tax collectors back in this day, they had a bad reputation. I mean a bad reputation because the Romans would move into a place and they would recruit people from that place that they'd conquered as tax collectors. And the tax collectors made their living by extorting the people for whom they were collecting taxes. They made a living by upcharging. So if the tax on a given item was 10%, they'd charge 15%. They'd get to keep the extra five or whatever. So tax collectors were considered kind of the worst of the worst of the society. They were people who belonged to the society, but they were considered traitors. So tax collectors and other notorious sinners People with a bad reputation, other people with a bad reputation, they often came to listen to Jesus teach. And of course, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. It was bad enough that he was associating with them. Now, you may not know a whole lot about the Bible, but you've probably heard the word Pharisee before. And you probably are aware that Pharisee is not a great thing. It's kind of a religious person who's high and mighty who's intolerant of people who don't believe exactly the way that they believe. So Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, the people who thought they knew something, they didn't like the fact that Jesus, who uh, claimed to be uh, sent from God, claimed to speak for God, they didn't like the fact that Jesus often associated with these people. He even ate with them. I mean, the fact that they were coming to listen to him, what could he really do about that? But he sat down to eat with these people. In other words, the, relig the religious leaders didn't think that Jesus should associate with notorious sinners because those notorious sinners, those people with a bad reputation, they weren't worth his attention. Okay, and I, I, I want to draw your, your attention to this word right here, worth. Those people, the religious people, 
the Pharisees, the teachers, didn't think that the tax collectors and other notorious sinners were worth the master's attention. You got it? You got it? So, the Bible says, verse 3, so Jesus told them this story. And that word so is very important because it, it implies that he's got a reason. There's a, there's a reason to the story, a purpose for telling it. And the purpose for telling it was because of the way that they felt about these people. That gives us some insight into these three very famous stories. Well, the Bible says he told them a story. In fact, there were three stories that he told them, all about things that were lost. This week, I sent a question out. I used the Church Center app to do it, so I really, really hope that you have the Church Center app installed on your phone. If you do, and you have notifications turned on, then you should have gotten a notification that I had a question for you. And a few of you responded to that. I appreciate that very much, your responses. So I've picked out uh, the, the ones that were useful to me, and we're going to show them in just a moment. The question that I sent was, what's the most valuable thing that you've ever lost? So even if you didn't respond to that this morning, just think about it. What's the most valuable thing that you've ever lost? Ashley said, my wedding ring one time. She lost her wedding ring. That would be, that would be bad. I don't know if Ashley ever got it back or not. I, I hope she did, but she lost it. Anyway, somebody wrote in and said, the diamond off my anniversary ring. That's probably not something you would ever get back. That's something very significant. Would be hard to replace. Or, or how about this one? This is impossible to replace. Becky said, time. The most valuable thing you've ever lost. That's very, I like that answer, time. And then another Ava said wedding ring. So this is the second wedding ring. But maybe the, the best reply that I got was from Ava's husband, Russ, who said, I could say that I lost my wedding ring three times, but found it on the first two. So Ava, his wife, lost hers. Russ lost his three times, not to be outdone, but found it twice. Then he went on to say, but the most valuable thing I lost and found again would probably be my wife almost any time we go shopping. <laughs> I, I'm not really sure you can consider it lost if you just walk in the door and she goes that way and you go that way. I think it's kind of a, that's a choice, man. That's just a choice. So Jesus told three stories here in Luke chapter 15 in response to the vibe that he was picking up from the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. Do you, you get that? We're all on the same page now. You understand what I'm saying? You're picking up what I'm throwing down? These three, these three stories were in response to the way that the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law felt. So here's the first one. The first story is the story of the lost sheep. Now, you've heard this story many, many, many times, no doubt, if you've been anywhere around a church at all in your life. And it goes just like this. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost. Now, I want to point out to you in these verses. Look at this ratio here. A man has a hundred sheep. You got a hundred. It's a lot of sheep. I don't even know that I could keep track of that many sheep unless I could get them to stay still all at one time. But if a man has a hundred sheep and he loses one, one of them gets lost. One out of a hundred. It's not bad. Still got 99 sheep. What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that's lost until he finds it? 
I don't know. I don't know that I would. I don't really know how valuable sheep are, but I know this about sheep, <laughs> and I don't know much. But I know this. I know that sheep are a long-term investment. I know that a sheep is born. I know that if you don't eat the sheep, that it grows up, it produces wool, you shear it off, it produces more wool, you shear it off, produces more wool, shear it off. A sheep can offer a yield for a long, long time. It can be useful for a long, long time. It's a long-term investment. And that's important and will be significant as we move on. Is the one who strayed, the one of the 99, is the one who strayed worth more than the 99 who stayed? Is that why the shepherd left the 99 to go find the one? And again, we're talking about this idea of worth. Is the one who strayed worth more than the 99 who stayed? The answer is no. The difference isn't in their value. The difference is in their vulnerability. The 99 who stayed were safe. They're inside the pen. They're under the care of the shepherd. But the one who strayed is who knows where. They're liable to get hurt or killed. And so the shepherd would lose his long-term investment in that animal. So no, that animal isn't worth more than the 99, but that animal is in more danger than the 99. And so that's why the shepherd, in this parable that Jesus told, was willing to leave and go find it. You see, to the great shepherd, no sheep is worth more, and no sheep is worth less, and no sheep is ever worthless. Let me say that again. No sheep is worth more, no sheep is worth less, and no sheep is ever worthless. Jesus also told another story right on the heels of this one, the story of the lost sheep. He told a story of a lost coin. You've probably heard this story too if you've been around church for five minutes. He said in verse 8, or suppose a woman. Now, I, I, I like this. Jesus is an equal opportunity parable teller because the hero of the first parable was a man, a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And the hero of the second story is a woman. All right. So he's spreading the love to everybody present. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, how many sheep did the shepherd have all total? A hundred. This woman only has 10 coins, so her situation is a little bit more dire than the situation of the shepherd who had 100 sheep. 100 sheep might feel like you could has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? A little bit of Bible trivia for you. The coin that is referred to here in the original language is a drachma. Drachma, you may have heard it called a drachma, Greek drachma. And it's uh, equal to one day's wage. Now a day's wage is different for different people, but that's just a relative number, round, nice round figure. So let's say for kicks and gills that you make $100 a day at your job. This would be like this woman has a, a safe place in her house and she goes and counts it one day and then all of a sudden there's only 900. To make matters worse, worse, because this is a woman that we're talking about, in the culture, the day and time, the ten coins were probably this woman's dowry. 
which was the only money that she legally owned because all the rest of the money that she might ever have control over belonged to the man. That's just the way that it was in this time and place where these people lived. However, these ten coins were likely hers. Even if she got married and for some reason the marriage didn't work out, even if the husband died or there was a divorce, whatever, she would get to keep this. Now, it's not a lot. It's only ten days' worth of currency, but it's something, and it's hers. And so when she loses one of them, she gets upset, and she goes, of course, as anyone would, to try to find it. Now, just like I don't know much about sheep, I know a little bit about currency. Not a lot. I don't understand this new digital currency, blockchain, stuff like that. It makes no sense to me. I, people are making a lot of money off of it. But I do understand cash, and that's what she had. She had cash. I know that sheep are a long-term investment. I know that coins or cash is a short-term investment. It's very liquid. You got cash in hand, you can go and you can trade that for goods. You see the difference? Sheep are a long-term investment. Coins are liquid. They're short-term investment. We can put a price on a lot of things. We can put, like coins, for example. Like I said, the drachme was worth a day's wage. But the most precious things in this life are price, priceless. Like MasterCard. MasterCard taught us that, right? Priceless. Somebody wrote in when I asked the question about things that they had lost. Um, Andrea wrote in and said, the most valuable thing I ever lost was a necklace that my mom bought me. It had two girl figures with birth, birthstones in them. They had a double meaning for me. It was my girl's but they also represented my mother and me. That's irreplaceable. To lose something like that, that would just be devastating. That just hurts me to think about it. Well, that wasn't the end, though. Jesus had another story, a third story, that fell right on the heels of those first two. And it was probably the most famous of the three. It's the story of the lost son. Or, as you've probably heard it called, the story of the prodigal son. But it's the third of these three stories that are all told about things that are lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Picking it up in verse 11. To illustrate the point further. I love that. To illustrate the point further. So Jesus is still trying to drive home a point. And it's a point about how these Pharisees and teachers of religious law felt about these undesirable people that Jesus was hanging out with. To illustrate his point further, he offered a third story. A man who had two sons. Now the shepherd had how many sheep? hundred sheep. And the woman had how many coins? Ten coins. This father had how many sons? Two. Two. Two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Now think about what he's saying. I want my share of your estate now before you die. Now that's not how an inheritance works. It's not supposed to work that way. Essentially, this younger son was saying to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so I could just have my money. And honestly, frankly, Dad, I'm tired of waiting. So can I just have my money now? That's what he was saying. Surprisingly, the father agreed. I think it served the purpose of the story that Jesus was trying to tell. Again, this is a parable, not a true story. I don't know, maybe it was. 
but Jesus left out the names to protect the innocent. So he's telling a parable. His father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. Why in the world would he do that? Well, it seems like just bad parenting, but what, I mean, what choice did he really have? Anyway, the father divided his inheritance, all of his wealth, between his two sons. He gave his younger son what he asked, and then a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. I'm going to get as far away from you, Dad, as I possibly can. I'm tired of being under your thumb. I'm tired of living by your rules. I want to make my own decisions, so I'm going to join the military. Oh, come on. That was funnier than that. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure you were paying attention. No. He said, I want to make my own decisions, so I'm going to get as far away from you as I can. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there, surprise, surprise, as Gomer Pyle would say, surprise, 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 <laughs> he wasted all his money in wild living. Shocker! Young, impetuous man who felt that way about his dad, the person he should respect, maybe most in the world, wasted all of that money in wild living, and it didn't take long, apparently because he was still a young man. About that time, of course, his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve, to which we might say, well, it serves him right. He should. How else is he going to learn his lesson? So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, you and I don't think much of that. We might read by it real carefully, real, real quickly, rather. But in this culture, the culture in, into which Jesus was born and the culture to whom he's talking, feeding pigs, being a pig farmer was the ultimate indignity because these animals are unclean in Jewish culture. Even to this day, that means they can't offer them to God and they can't eat them either. There's not a whole lot that they're good for. And yet here's this young Jewish man who's had to lower himself to the point where he's feeding these animals that are just almost good for nothing in order to survive. But it gets worse. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. His dad had given him everything he wanted. Dad, I wish you were dead. Well, here you go then. Here's half my stuff. His dad gave him everything he wanted. Now no one would give him the one thing that he needed. And so, finally, thankfully, this young man came to his senses. And I like that expression, he came to his senses. Because you and I have how many senses? We have, I don't know, what, five? That's right, we have five senses. We have seeing and hearing and tasting and touching and smelling. What do you think that that young Jewish pig slopper was seeing and hearing and touching and smelling, oh my goodness, and wishing that he could taste. Disgusting. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on 
as a hired servant. Please, just give me that. I know I've disappointed you. I know I've let you down. I know I'm not the person that you hoped I would be. I've wasted all the money that you gave me, your inheritance. I said horrible things to you. I got as far away from you as I possibly could. But please, just treat me like one of your servants. But there's more to each of these stories. I only told you a part. Because along with each of these stories, there is also a celebration. Let's go back quickly and look at the lost sheep and the celebration that goes along with that. When he found it, this man who had a hundred sheep and lost one, when he found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep in the same way. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now in this metaphor that Jesus is drawing, think about the crowd to whom he's speaking and the feelings that they have for one another, the Pharisees and religious leaders for these undesirable people. Who's the one and who's the 99 here? The religious people are the 99, and the one are these tax collectors and notorious sinners. And there's more joy in heaven over one of them who come to God than there is over all the rest. Let's look real, real quickly at the celebration that goes with the lost coin. When she finds it, this woman who had 10 coins and lost one, when she finds, she'll call on her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin in the same way. There's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. You think that they're starting to get it now, these Pharisees, these teachers of religious law, you think they're starting to understand the point that Jesus is trying to make? But to illustrate his point further, he still had that last story, the story of the lost son. But there was a celebration that went along with that one too. You've probably heard the story. He returned home to his father and he did what he planned to do. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. Didn't even get a chance to say the stuff that he wanted to say. But his son pushed back with tears, no doubt, in his eyes, filled with shame and regret, expecting, I told you so. He said, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his dad stopped him in mid-sentence and said to the servants, he didn't even reply to his son. He didn't even respond to what his son said. He turned to the servants and said, quick, bring the finest robes in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We're going to eat. We got to celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine who was dead has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. The son told his father, I wish you were dead. The father said of his son, he was dead. But now he's alive. Lost sheep can be replaced. Lost coins can be recovered. But a dead son 
cannot be restored. He was dead. He was gone. He was out of our life forever. Because you see, while sheep are a long-term investment and coins are a short-term investment, a liquid asset, people are an eternal investment. Only people live forever. The stuff that you acquire in this life, it's just stuff. The money that you acquire in this life, it's just stuff. But the people that you touch in this life, they live forever somewhere. Somewhere. The son thought to himself, I need to be free to be truly satisfied. I need to know freedom. I need to know what it's like to live by my own rules and make my own decisions. And then I'll be truly satisfied. But your heavenly father knows that you need to be saved. You need to be saved. You need to be brought back to life in order to be free. Brought back from death. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's what it says in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us turned to his own way. But God laid on his son all of our sin so that we could be brought back from death to life. 